Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week's Highways Voices discusses the latest solutions to better manage traffic in our towns and cities. That not only increases the flexibility and the speed of response, but it can dramatically reduce the cost of ownership. And in fact, our clients are telling us can reduce the cost of owning and operating things by up to 60%. CEO of TRL talks software, active travel and budgeting in this week's wide-ranging chat. UTC means understanding transport's complexities on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK and ELCRI. Paul Campion to come on today's programme, plus news from our partners, including a growing lineup at the TTF conference. But first, what's been happening on our website and daily newsletter? Adrian Tatum has the answer. The RCA has reported progress in discussions with clients over hyperinflation challenges. Member companies reported a positive dialogue with their clients over the issue of hyperinflation and the effect it's having on bitumen and oil prices. They've been reporting their experiences in the surface treatment sector over the last three to four weeks, which have resulted in positive discussions with their clients. Most are being receptive to the need to increase previously contracted rates, said the RSDA. Elsewhere, leading infrastructure services FM Conway has been awarded a five-year term contract with the City of London Corporation. It will provide highway improvements and maintenance works across the city's unique public realm. The contract, valued at an estimated of £10 million per year, will run for five years from the 1st of July this year. The scope will see FM Conway deliver high-quality construction and maintenance services encompassing a wide range of assets such as carriageways, footways, bridges and street lighting. And Amy has been named by Transport Scotland as preferred bidder to take over on its improved roads maintenance contracts in the northeast. The contract, worth up to an estimated £540 million, will begin on the 16th of August and run for eight years, with the potential to extend for a further four years. The maintenance work Amy teams will be covering includes implementation of enhanced winter and incident response service, the requirements to provide better journey reliability, enhance communications and incorporate new technology for better management of trunk road assets and contracts. On top of that, you can read about updates on the highway code to deal with driverless vehicles, a coroner's advice about making crossings safer, Edinburgh to begin charging people to top up their EV batteries and may introduce a congestion charge, and cars potentially getting automatic speed limiters. These and so many more stories on our website, daily newsletter, Twitter and LinkedIn feeds, highway news the only place you need to go for everything you need to know swaco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer quicker more convenient and environmentally sound from software as a service traffic management solutions to parking vms ev charging and road marking too find out how swaco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management swaco the better way every day highways voices with paul hutton and adrian tatum The Scoots traffic management solution that makes traffic lights more efficient has been around for decades, but it's had a major refresh at TRL. So what does that mean for us delivering more efficient transport networks? I grabbed half an hour of TRL CEO Paul Campion's time at Intertraffic last month, and here's what he had to say. Paul Campion, it's a new take on an old concept it may now be called unified traffic control rather than urban traffic control but trl software is kind of reinventing 
how we manage our transport networks. Well, that's absolutely the idea, yeah. As you know, TRL was instrumental in creating, what, 30, 40 years ago now, one of the first really sophisticated city flow control programmes, they called Scoot. First deployed, I think, in Glasgow, but famous for operating London, well, 350 cities globally. And oh, we're very proud of that heritage, of course, but, you know, the world has changed dramatically. And as we've looked at what we think that cities and the people who live in cities and move around in cities need, we felt that we really have to address some of the fundamental assumptions behind the product. So yes, we've done a huge amount of work. Scoot, we now call UTC, we say unified or or urban traffic control. And uh, we've tried to not just re-engineer, but rethink it from the get-go. So has this been incremental changes or have you basically started again from scratch? Well, as I say, our thinking, we think, is quite radical. It's incredibly important, though, for the cities to have the confidence that their massive installed base of equipment uh, can continue to be used. No one wants to dig up the roads in order to put in some new software. So we have to respect that legacy, respect the fact that all these cities uh, and their citizens depend on this software and have been doing for many years, but take it forward in quite a different and, we think, very valuable way. So you're getting the legacy system, you've got the legacy data from from whatever infrastructure is out there on the roadside, be it loops or radar or machine vision, and from that you are then kind of almost reinterpreting the data in order to to possibly change the algorithms to make it uh, more efficient and, and better? Yes, I mean, absolutely, we're constantly looking at the algorithms, but I would say our focus has been really to question whether the focus on the algorithms was really quite what we need now. So, Scoot is pretty blooming efficient anyway, and does a good job of uh, enhancing traffic flow. If you switch it off, then traffic, congestion, pollution carbon footprint get worse instantly by 10 15 20 percent so you know it's a really significant contributor to enabling cities to operate successfully however traditionally the software was really tied to a set of hardware that made it inflexible expensive and slow to change or extend the network so we've tried to break that link between the software and the hardware and we've created an open software platform that will in principle operate with any hardware it works to open standards that not only increases the flexibility and the speed of response but it can dramatically reduce the cost of ownership and in fact our clients are telling us can reduce the cost of owning and operating things by up to 60 percent second of all the traditional system was very technical. The users, the day-to-day users who are operating the thing, the traffic engineers, the people responsible for the flow, were highly trained, sophisticated engineers, and they were used to learning a set of very complicated commands, protocols, interfaces, and they had to be highly trained and specialised on the equipment rather than on their real job. So we've tried to completely change the interface to the system. So you know, a- anyone listening to this would be able to walk up, who, anyone who's used a, you know, a, a modern laptop, would be able to walk up to it and intuitively work out how to work out. There's a map interface, you click on things, you right-click on them, up comes the information, sliders, buttons, you know, 
completely natural user interface to anyone who's used, uh, used any products, frankly, in the last 10 or 20 years. What that does is enable the uh, people responsible for the traffic to concentrate on their job instead of on the system. We hope we'll dramatically reduce the training load on those people and, actually as a side benefit, maybe enable different sorts of people to take on that job rather than people who are comfortable with that very technical interface. And finally, one of the things that London did very well, as many people will know, is to make data available on an open platform. London's got the resources to do that, and by the way, the political will. They spend a lot of time and money to do that. Most local authorities don't. So we have put into the product, in the box, as it were, an open data hub so that that data becomes available to other people to write apps against it or build other systems to expand the benefits that the city can get from it. I can honestly say, Paul, from personal experience, that is a fantastic innovation because Rewind more than 20 years and I had just come into running the information gathering for the major radio traffic news company that's now part of Inrix. And I went to, I think it was, gosh, this is a name from the past, Romance in Southampton, and they were explaining Scoot to me. And I thought this is fantastic because the data we could get, we could get very good congestion information for the city. This would be a, a great way of reducing the human requirements to enter data. But unfortunately, it just ended up in the too difficult pile. The, the taking the concept of getting the data and then integrating it into the database and the software application we had at the time was just too difficult and it, it didn't work out. So actually making it easier to share that information and then for people to use it to have better travel information is going to make a huge difference and as I say I wish we could have had that 20 years ago. Well you know the, the, we all wish we could have had a lot of things 20 years ago well look we hope so as I say the focus of Scoot has always been um, you know, I'm not criticising rightly on, on the algorithms on the way that it enables engineers to uh, operate the city we think though that a different philosophy is appropriate now to meet the dramatic change the challenges that cities that we all have we need to be thinking about these tools differently and we need to make them available to different people we need to make the open up the benefits to them uh, to different people can I rewind on the business case because you talked about it's 10 15 20 percent worse if, if if scoop was switched off I've been at conferences where people have looked at the before and after, but the, some of the data that they're trying to use is, is even back to the 80s and early 90s. Do we have bang-up-to-date before and after data that can be used when, let's say, a local authority is needing to justify the spend because being able to actually point to if we install this system we will reduce congestion by x percent and we have plenty of examples to prove that would make such a difference to being able to get those that sign the the budget off to actually say yes we think that's a fantastic idea well the, the i mean the, the short answer to your question is yes we do have this data but uh, you know as you know the world is a complicated place and it wouldn't be sensible just to switch off Scoot in London for a couple of weeks and see what happened. But there's all sorts of other forms of data that we can use here. Uh, as you may know, um, TRL also provides a product called Mover which manages individual junctions. So it just sits in the roadside controller and optimizes an individual 
junction. So as an individual junction moves from local optimization being part of a network as it's joined into a UTC scheme, we can see what the impact is there. So you get proper before and after. You can also run simulation, which isn't quite real world, but simulation can give you a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. So, so yes, I think we do have that information. That's Paul Campion, CEO of TRL, and we'll hear more from him in a moment after Sarah's brought you this week's Partners News. Highways Voices with the latest news and events from our partner organisations Elkrig, ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. The Transport Technology Forum guest list of keynote speakers is growing, with the news that the Department for Transport's Chief Scientific Advisor, Sarah Sharples, will be speaking. She joins Chris Boardman as keynote speaker at the event in Liverpool between the 17th and 19th of May. The organisers have also invited Transport Minister Trudy Harrison, who will join delegates if her diary allows. You can register your interest to join and find out about corporate opportunities via the TTF website. Talking of events, look out next week for details of a bigger and better ITS UK Awards event alongside its President's Dinner. There will be many more categories as the society looks to celebrate the wide range of ways that technology makes our transport more efficient, cleaner and safer. The awards will be given out during the President's Dinner that will take place after this year's Members' Day in Milton Keynes on the 13th of October. ITS UK will publish more details about the event next week. This week sees the publication of the ADEPT Smart Places Live Labs Programmes Programme Review and Final Project Evaluations. From the beginning, Live Labs set out to share learning and insight with the wider sector. The report examines its findings across programme management and governance, as well as each Live Lab's individual performance. The publication is a review of what worked, what didn't, and how projects flexed as they developed to achieve their goals. From challenges in implementing fast-tracked procurement and overcoming supply chain issues, to attracting new funding, the report has much for local authorities to consider in their own innovation work. ADEPT's £22.9 million programme, funded by the Department for Transport, is now in its closing stages. More details can be found on the ADEPT website. And Will Britton has announced his retirement after 43 years' service at Blackpool Council. Will, who is Head of Highways and Traffic Management Services at the local authority, will retire at the end of May. He established the Local Council Roads Innovation Group, Elkrig, in 2013 to encourage councils to work together and with the highways community to support the Department for Transport to deliver innovation on a national level. In other news, Elkrig has revealed more details about its forthcoming innovation festival. The event will be a first of its kind for the highway sector, with a number of local authorities already committed to making their road networks available for trials, along with funding for qualifying innovators who participate in the event. The new event, which will take place from the 6th to the 7th of July at Newark Showground, has been established to make the case for innovation and will bring together local authorities, central government, the supply chain, associations and academia. You can read more details about the event and find out how to get involved in the blurb with this podcast. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Now back to our chat with Paul Campion, the CEO of TRL, where we moved on to the environment. You touched on net zero and reducing the environmental impact of transport. 
when you think of net zero and reducing the environmental in- impact of transport, being able to point to a reduction in congestion is going to tick so many boxes that you can, as a local authority, dip into your environmental budget where you have targets and where you're judged against, in effect, failure. And this could be a major way of of actually being able to achieve those targets in a very efficient way. I completely agree. I wish more bits of government thought that way. Let's just take the health budget. The health budget is a massive budget, but we know that a lot of money is spent on the ill effects of not taking enough exercise. Well, if we could use some of the health budget to create a transport intervention that would make it easier or safer for people to go cycling, for example, rather than sit in their car, then the knock-on to the health budget, I'm sure, would be beneficial. That's quite difficult to do in governmental budgeting. But you know what? The challenges like decarbonisation, challenges like levelling up, I think are going to require us to do some of these things which are simultaneously creative, innovative, look like they're really difficult, and at the same time, common blooming sense. We'll come back. I've got a couple of other thoughts on that in a minute, but a beautiful segue into my next question about the software, which is, of course, Scoop would have been invented the concept would have been to to move private cars around a city how are you reinventing the software to cope with different road users bus priority cyclists pedestrians not just safety but also making it easier for them to to walk around and and quicker so they're not standing at a pedestrian crossing for four minutes until they cross that side of it the wider mobility requirements rather than just private cars? Well, this is this is one of the critical drivers, isn't it, behind what we've got to do. As we think about the way we want, it, we, want we need to change our society, our job as transport industry professionals is to provide the tools for that. And so you've just listed a whole set of things that we think our clients, uh, you know, cities, local authorities uh, need to be doing and that need to be enabled by our tools. So, yes, there's all sorts of, you know, technology and things that go in there. Bus lane priority you mentioned, uh, active travel. And these are on the areas where, well, we can do a bit in the software, but then we need hard infrastructure, we need regulation, we need operation changes you know there's a top to bottom set of changes we need to do here but we're going to try and do our bits as far as the software is concerned now i've been coming to events like traffics for 20 years to into traffic for 10 you often speak to exhibitors and what they're showing off is a new piece of software or a new piece of hardware that is helping to do what we've always done just a little bit better are we getting to the point where we actually have to rip all that up and stop thinking about doing the same thing a bit better and really just starting from scratch again and saying what do we need to achieve and how are we going to achieve it in a totally new way well, look, it's never a bad thing to do what you did before a bit better, is it? You know, the last thing I do is criticise anybody exhibiting here. These sort of events are extraordinary windows, aren't they, onto incredible, thriving, multinational, creative industry. But, you know, your question is, do we actually need to, to, to be a bit more radical about some of this? I strongly believe we do. Now, without wanting to sound too pious about it, this is a societal problem. And I think as an industry, we might need to rethink how we behave. We've got to provide tools for us to behave differently as a society if we're going to decarbonise 
if we're going to level up. And by the way, th- those are phrases that, particularly levelling up, that are, that are used a lot in the UK. We're in a very international event here. I think that challenge, though, of ensuring equal access in society to making sure that our cities, our transport systems work for everyone is absolute common. It's a basic political imperative everywhere around the world. So I think it works, you know, as long as we recognise that the words we're using are, are UK-specific. But as far as, uh, you know, as far as how we're going to do this is concerned, I think we are going to have to do it differently. And you said, well, you know, is incremental change going to get us there? No, it's not, is it? It's really not. And we're going to have to, as an industry, step up our response, I think. We're going to have to do that in partnership with politicians, uh, city leaders, planners, operational people. We're all going to have to change our game. We're going to have to be genuinely creative, genuinely innovative. Rather than saying innovation, and well, my thing does what you know the old thing did, but it does it 10% cheaper or 10% better. That's that's good. I don't want to criticise that in any way at all, but that's not going to change the world, is it? And we actually need to change the world in a way that the transport industry hasn't thought about for a century, I guess. I'm going to add another group of stakeholders that we need to work with when it comes to changing mobility, and that's actually the travelling public because if you talk to many people and I've used this in interviews before their view on how mobility should change is that everybody else should get out of their private cars and start using public transport or walking or cycling just so the roads are quieter for them how are we going to change the concept of people who like driving their own cars, like having their own cars, like being able to leave their golf clubs in the boots so that they don't get told off for leaving them in the hall and all those sorts of things. It's such a fundamental change and there is a surely a risk that we sit here agreeing with each other that we must do these things and the travelling public don't want it and potentially it's unachievable and we end up with an emperor's new clothes situation where no one within our industry calls out some of the more radical suggestions as potentially not going to be actually deliverable in what we call the real world Uh, you say is there a danger i i I say uh, no there's not a danger there's a certainty what you've said describing a situation is exactly the situation we're in now from where i'm sitting I, i think it looks to me like politicians have particular set of skills that we need to look to recognize and work with they're good at telling stories, aren't they? And sometimes we agree with those stories and sometimes we don't agree with those stories and sometimes we, we will vote for that storyteller or the other storyteller. But the truth is, <clears throat> they're in the job of painting a vision of the way that the world could be, saying, vote for me and I'll turn the world this way or that way. As transport professionals, you said we're constantly talking to each other, aren't we just? And we love our jargon, we love our technology, you know, we use, we use like words like modes, which ordinary humans, just that, you know, and it, not only does not understand, it just switches them off, they're not interested, but it's technicians talking to technicians. I speak as a technician, I'm not criticising anyone here. But we've got to recognise that as a community, we have been very inward-focused, still are. We have to find ways to connect with communities like politicians who are precisely the opposite of us. They use their audience's language. In many cases, you'll speak to them privately, and they they well recognise that the stories they're telling are dramatically oversimplified. Some people might say borderline falsified sometimes. I'm not going to comment on that. But 
but they're in the business of speaking someone else's language and we just speak our own. So I think we have to find ways of providing stories, helping politicians to tell the stories that we can see in our domain of expertise gets the outcomes we need. And we've got to build some bridges, not just directly to the citizens, but the people who can help us tell the right stories to the citizens. TRL CEO Paul Campion, our guest on this week's Highways Voices, and someone so interesting we'll get him back on Highways Voices very soon, I hope. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Now, just a word to say, there'll be no Highways Voices next week. I'm away for a few days to celebrate a significant life event that means I'm not working, and that, you'll understand, is a very good idea if you've emailed me and seen my auto-reply. So we'll be back on Thursday the 5th of May after the next bank holiday with our next Highways Voices and while we're almost out of time now we must fit in Adrian's accolade and my accolade this week goes to Dorset Council it has just started a program of proactive road maintenance repairs across the county this financial year the Department of Transport funding dedicated to carriageway maintenance in the area will be 11.6 million and Dorset Council have put further funding on top of this uh, with the cabinet awarding 6.7 million or additional investment into highway maintenance, with about 4.6 million of this being invested in proactive planned road repairs. This year, Dorset Council's area would include 1.5 square millimeters of road to be repaired, including roughly 434,000 square meters of resurfacing, 446,000 square meters of surface dressing, 200,000 meters of microsurfacing. 75,000 metres of in-situ recycling, 100,000 square metres of asphalt preservation, and 60,000 square metres of patching. In an era of reduced funding and a rising number of potholes, although not alone, Dorset Council should be applauded for their proactive approach, which has become more difficult these days, which is the most cost-effective way to maintain roads and also to promote the fact they are doing it and to explain why to the public. They're the reasons why they are worthy winners of my accolade this week. So Dorset County Council gets the accolade this week and something that means Adrian, who lives in the county, will benefit from with more efficient use of his council tax. That's it for this week's Highways Voices. We'll catch up again in two weeks' time. Ignore what Danny's about to say at the end of this podcast and we'll talk then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 